This is The Guardian. Today, the climate activists taking on a hostile government. Everyone has the right to protest. And when it comes to the climate crisis, millions of us have taken it. We've joined protests, written to our MPs, signed petitions and done sit-ins. But time is running out. Under current policies, the world is headed for 2.8 degrees of global heating by the end of the century. In other words, we are headed for a global catastrophe. And climate campaigners aren't prepared to wait any longer for our government to take action. For the past month, the environmental group Just Stop Oil has been blocking roads, spraying luxury car dealerships, government buildings and police offices with orange spray paint. And in actions that have hit headlines around the world, they've even targeted some of the most recognisable and expensive works of art. Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people? The cost of Damien Gale, the Guardian reporter, filmed these two protesters throwing tomato soup at Van Gogh's sunflowers in the National Gallery in London. Hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup. In response to the actions of climate protesters like Just Stop Oil, MPs have passed a new public order bill, which, if it becomes law, will give police greater powers to prevent people from protesting. Meanwhile, the government is granting new licences for oil and gas companies to drill in the North Sea. The Prime Minister hasn't committed to attending COP27. And campaigners say direct action is the only option they have left. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, is courting controversy the only way to get climate justice? Damien, Just Stop Oil are staging a lot of protests at the moment. Give us some background. Where did this group come from? So Just Stop Oil emerged back in April, and that's when they began their campaign. There'd been rumours swirling around that there was a new protest campaign from the same people, orchestrated by many of the same people who were behind Extinction Rebellion, Insulate Britain, but that this protest campaign, unlike some of its antecedents, would be led by youth campaigners or youth activists. So they came out in April with a campaign to try to blockade oil refineries in the Midlands and in the south and the southeast uh, with the aim of paralysing the supply of fossil fuels, particularly to London. And it was a kind of, it was a change from the previous strategy of environmental protesters. And it was a conscious change that they spoke about as a shift from civil disobedience and into something that they described as civil resistance, which for them meant taking action 
to disrupt what it is that they felt really was the problem. Can you tell me about why you wanted to get involved? Sure. So I've been involved in activism for the last two and a half years, doing different campaigns. And then I heard about the Just Stop Oil starting up. And I guess I just thought, like, this is the level of action that needs to be taken at this time. Hello, my name is Miranda Wheelahan. I'm 21 years old. I'm a climate activist and finished as a student at university. So tell me about Just Stop Oil. What are the central demands? Really, it's all about stopping new oil licences. I think maybe when people hear Just Stop Oil, they get a bit, they're like, you can't stop oil and (laughs) straight away. But really what we're talking about is, yeah, no new oil, which I think is so important is what we need if we don't do that it kind of is unimaginable and we've already seen the Labour Party promising that that's what they will do if they come into power is they'll have no new oil licensing no new permits and will shift to renewable energy and energy efficiency and people say that the demand is like a bit naive but I think actually it's the opposite scientists all over the world are calling for the same thing and in ignoring them, we're actually being childish, we're being naive, and we just have to make the step and do it. So what kinds of actions have you been involved in? Some of the best things that I have been involved in with Just a Poil was part of the kind of splinter group called Youth Climate Swarm, which was happened in maybe like January to March of this year. And we would go out and block roads for seven minutes and just to be on the streets and talking to people and showing that you're willing to literally sit on a road, obviously safely, you know, you go at a traffic light and you wait and you make sure everyone's safe, you wear high vis, but to show people that you're willing to sit there and and that you're some of those people were like, you know, 18 or 20 and we're just there to try and tell the truth. So I found that was really, yeah, that was really empowering. Have you ever been arrested? Yeah, I have been arrested. I've been arrested five times now. What were you doing in those instances? Um, One of them was for Just a Poor, and that was blocking uh, an oil tanker at Navigator Oil Terminal in Essex. But nothing has ever come of those cases. So, yeah, it is scary. But I think just being with other people, like you're never alone. And that's what makes it okay. And you can just be trying to sit in that like strength and empowerment together. And it's worth it. It's so important. Damien, you've been following Just Stop Oil closely since that time in April and, and seeing how their tactics are evolving. Presumably the work they're doing goes well beyond what we're seeing in the headlines. Tell me about some of the other approaches that they're using to get their point across. So since the start of October, they've been blockading roads around London every single day. But with a lot of these protest groups, when they go out and they use the same tactic over and over again, they get caught in a law of diminishing returns where the first time they do it and the first time they cause disruption, everyone's super interested and everyone's paying attention. 
and particularly the newspapers, but the more they do it, the more normal it becomes. Mm -hmm. The less news editors are interested, the less the public are interested. So over the weeks, they've sought to escalate their tactics by, first of all, they went out and they, they threw the tomato soup over Van Gogh's sunflowers. On the same day, a woman went to New Scotland Yard and sprayed the revolving sign at New Scotland Yard with orange paint. I'm doing this because we live in a country where you are innocent until proven guilty, and yet we are holding... And orange is the colour of their logo, isn't it? And they've been spraying loads of businesses yeah, in orange. Since then, since then, since that day, they've been, they've been out, they've been spraying high-end car showrooms. They sprayed the home office... Um, and and various other locations. They sprayed Harrods. Rolex. Rolex, yeah. What a disgrace! So they're targeting not just high-end fossil fuel-related companies or fossil fuel-related icons, but they're targeting symbols of power and they're targeting symbols of wealth. As you've mentioned, we've seen a fair few different environmental protest groups over recent years. How have their tactics evolved over time to to what we're seeing at the moment? What have they learnt? Well, one thing that I think that the people who are involved in groups like Just Stop Oil and its direct antecedent, Insulate Britain, is they all felt that Extinction Rebellion was in a way too fluffy and didn't really live up to its promise. And so when I spoke to members of Insulate Britain, a lot of them had, if not begun their journey, with Extinction Rebellion, definitely begun their radicalization with Extinction Rebellion, but really were looking for something a little bit more spiky. They were looking for something a bit more confrontational. To a lot of people, seeing the image of a tomato soup being dashed over a Van Gogh painting, it's difficult to comprehend how that aligns with the climate crisis. What did Van Gogh have to do with it? How do they justify using that tactic? I think their only reason for targeting Van Gogh in that way was that it would be a hugely polarising and a hugely attention-grabbing action so that then they could ram the message home of what it is that they're about. And it really worked. Uh, On that first day, uh, I posted a video of that, well, I wouldn't call it vandalism because the painting wasn't damaged, but of their attack on the painting... Because the painting's covered in glass. The painting was, yeah, concealed behind a glass panel. And, and that video was, was viewed 50 million times. Um, there were some incredibly furious responses. Friends of mine were sending me messages. They were saying to me, what on earth are these people doing? Like, that's not a protest. That's not a legitimate target for protest. These are people I know who are involved in protest movements themselves. And... Um, yeah, I think at the time, really, that was that was the sole justification for it, was that they knew it would be a hugely iconoclastic thing to target this painting, really, which is one of the most famous images in the world. I recognise that it looks like a slightly ridiculous action. I agree, it is ridiculous. But we're not asking the question, should everybody be throwing soup on paintings? We're, what we're doing is getting the conversation going so we can ask the questions that matter. And interestingly, I, I, I spoke to them afterwards at the Just a Poil press office because we were trying to figure out whether or not the painting was 
in fact protected by a panel of glass. And they said, yeah, 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 we checked it out beforehand. So I said, why didn't you mention that? And they said, no, we didn't mention it because we just wanted to piss people off. <laughs> so it kind of gives you an insight into the mentality, really. Their whole goal is to be polarizing. Yeah. Their whole goal is to provoke debate because if they know people are talking and they, then they know that the point they're trying to make is on people's lips and is in people's minds. Miranda, I know you weren't involved in the action at the National Gallery, but I think you could probably help us understand. What was the bigger idea behind it? I think what's interesting about that is that it's the most watched action that Justin Paul has ever done. It got in newspapers all over the world. You know, there was interviews on daytime and like a national TV. Well-known scientists were literally saying like, you know, this seems outrageous, but it is the action that needs to be taken you know, and us, we're extremely different from the suffragettes, so I don't think we should compare ourselves to them. But a suffragette literally did the same thing. When Emily Pankhurst was in prison, she went into the National Gallery and she slashed a painting, and that was part of their action too. And now everyone would call them heroes and would be grateful for the sacrifices they made. And sometimes the action doesn't always have to directly meet the, the court, like the demand but it's about continuing to cause disruption so that action does come. Over the weekend, protesters blocked roads in central London and and some drivers got out of their cars and actually physically dragging protesters Mm -hmm. to the curb. And, And they were saying in interviews, some of these drivers, you know, I was just trying to get to work or pick my children up from school. Why are you inconveniencing me instead of taking this to Westminster? How do you justify using those tactics? I think, yeah, I think it is difficult. I think, firstly, we have, and all different groups have targeted so many different places. For instance, we went to the oil terminals, we blocked them, and then we get told, go to Westminster or go to the capital. You go there, like people have been outside Westminster for the last month with just a poil doing marches, campaigning, doing leafleting. We're told we're annoying people. It's like, go and impact the industries who are doing this. Then you go and spray paint the industries who are doing it. They tell you that it's annoying and disruptive and vandalism. And then you block a road and it's annoying. And, like, and you know, the fact is it's a climate emergency. It's a crisis and people are suffering now. It is annoying. It is annoying and it is disruptive. You'd be doing this to people and no one wants to be sitting on an oil tanker or gluing their hand to a road and then potentially going to prison. It is horrible. And I'm not saying like that's not to make people feel pity at all, but it's more like these choices are being made because of the situation that we're in. So what you're saying is actually we're we're very sympathetic to you. What we're Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is actually on your behalf. Yeah. And I know that sounds really patronizing to people. And I like to be honest, I mean, I know I would feel the same. Like if you're trying to get somewhere and then someone's just like on the road, you know, people are busy or it's the weekend and they just want to relax and go home and you're there. It is really difficult and it is hard to communicate that in a way that's not patronizing or comes off um, in the wrong way. But I think we're just trying to continue and... I think public opinion is shifting. 
Joining us now to discuss this is Miranda Wheelerhan. She's a Just Stop Oil activist. She says that we have to move away from oil for good. And journalist Larry Turner, who thinks that activists are irritating when they disrupt travel and they block roads. We'll come to you in a minute, uh, Larry. Um, many people Miranda, uh, you've been interviewed on TV shows about your activism. I remember seeing you on Good Morning Britain earlier this year. Everything these stop oil protesters wear or buy or eat was delivered or manufactured using oil. And that includes the glue that they use to stick themselves to the road with. I mean, the clothes that you're wearing, to some extent, owe their existence to oil. We're talking about crop failure by 2030. We're talking about people in this country right now in fuel poverty because of... People on social media were comparing it to that scene in the Netflix film, Don't Look Up, where Jennifer Lawrence is trying to explain that a comet was about to crash into Earth and instead being rebuffed by the host with these flippant points. We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed. Okay. Okay. Um, Well, it's, um, you know, just something we do around here. You know, we just keep the bad news light. Right, it helps the medicine go down. And speaking of medicine, tomorrow we've got... What was that experience like for you of, of doing that interview? It was a lot. Like afterwards, I felt quite like like you've been like bullied <laughs> by people because I don't know. I feel like you go into that space with a bit of trust that you're on TV and that you're a young person and that, that they're not gonna like just go and just hate on you, basically, especially about something when what they're saying is so ridiculous in the situation we're in. But it's about ego. There's no doubt that we've had a winter without any. Uh, protest, but as soon as the sun comes out, oh, it's eco-festival time. And it is a festival. It's a big jamboree. It's let's get on social media. Let's sit down with a placard. Let's advertise to my friends what a great person I am. The people who I took those actions with, most of them either work full time or they work part time and they're at uni and they're campaigning all the time. A lot of the media want, they just want to make us seem like outsiders. They just make you seem basically like a freak and an outsider and someone so different so that no one wants to believe what you have to say is true. What's your response? I'm just, I just can't believe, I just can't believe that that's what you're saying. The United Nations are telling us if we get to 1.7 degrees of warming, half of the population will be exposed to climate conditions that are unlivable, and that's unworkable. And talk about, but it's been- Damien, let's talk about what the government's response has been. When Priti Patel was Home Secretary, the government began drawing up new laws to give police greater powers to stop these kinds of protests. Tell me what they've already introduced. What was introduced under her term? The government's response really goes back to Um, Extinction Rebellion and seeing the disruption that that group was able to cause on the streets of London. So the government came out first with the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Act, which was a wide-ranging piece of legislation with many, many sections, several of which were specifically targeted at protest groups. Um, Reading the notes for that bill, it specifically mentions Extinction Rebellion, but also Black Lives Matter protests, which took place during 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, So yeah, the the PCSC Bill Act, rather, brought in a number of new powers for the police to control protests. It gave the police the power to control protests that were considered disruptive or, or noisy. It also tightened up the process by which police could 
clear protesters from the road. So far, from what I've seen in the protests that I've joined, the police have been nervous, really, about using these powers. On the day that they came into force, they did come out and use it against Steve Braid, a stop Brexit man. But since then, I've been to protests, I mean, particularly the protests following the killing of Chris Carber by police. Protesters drove through Westminster with a flatbed truck with a sound system on the back of it. Which would be in flagrant violation of the new measures of the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Act. But the sensitivities around a protest like that would have made it just madness for the police to stop. So the police have these powers. They have a huge discretion about whether or not to apply them. Mm. Which brings us to the public order bill, which MPs passed last month and is now going through the Lords. What's the background to that? Yeah, yeah. so the bill was introduced. Obviously, we've had, yeah, we've cycled through a few Home Secretaries. (laughs) The bill was introduced by Priti Patel. But the current Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has more than signalled that she supports these powers being being brought in. Um, talking about the bill just a couple of weeks ago, she blamed an anti-woke coalition. It's the Guardian reading. To- tofu eating, woke karate, dare I say, the anti-growth coalition that we have to thank for the disruption that we are seeing on our roads today. And she said that this bill would give the police the powers to to tackle those kinds of people. It's another piece of legislation that's been formulated specifically to target radical environmental protesters. Significantly, I think, for the the tactics of current groups, it introduces an offence of locking on. What does that mean? That means attaching yourself to something <laughs> for the for the purpose of not being able to be moved essentially so it, it could mean attaching yourself to an immovable object a piece of street furniture but it could also extend to attaching yourself to another protester and then significantly it also extends powers of stop and search to cover suspicion of going equipped to commit any of these offenses So it really, really massively broadens stop and search. At the moment, stop and search is quite a limited power. It's usually around things like carrying illegal drugs or um, carrying offensive weapons. Now, effectively, it extends stop and search to apply to almost any form of protest. Wow. As this bill was making its way through the House of Commons... Mm. MPs did, of course, raise concerns with it. Can you talk us through what some of their major disputes were? The the Labour Party have opposed the public order bill. They've voted against the public order bill at every stage. But it's also been opposed by the more libertarian-minded members of the Conservative Party. So Charles Walker, who's a well-known libertarian MP, he introduced amendments to the bill to try to ameliorate some of its more draconian aspects and he spoke in parliament about serious disruption prevention orders which are a new kind of order a kind of protest asbo serious disruption prevention orders are not the answer they leave me absolutely cold in fact i go as far as to say they are appalling absolutely appalling which can be brought in by the courts to ban people from from taking part in protests 
but also from even showing support to protests or helping to plan protests. Those who are subject to these orders can have restrictions placed on their movements. Uh, they can be tagged with GPS tags. They can also even have restrictions placed on their online activities. Mm. So people listening to this might have never been involved in environmental activism, but they might do other things like, you know, they might be part of a union and sometimes have taken part in picket lines or they might go on protests for other issues, all sorts of different issues, and be listening to this and thinking, well, it sounds like all of this could crack down on yeah, yeah, my this, ability this, to do that as this well. This power is extremely broad and it can be used and applied far beyond environmental protesting. It can definitely be used to target activities by trade unions. And we've seen over the past few you know, past few months a summer of discontent by the trade unions. We've mm -hmm. seen strikes on the scale that haven't happened in this country since probably the 1980s or the 1970s. We've got a cost of living crisis happening in this country as well which really um, is really starting to affect people and which is really going to anger people and which I think we're going to see people coming out onto the streets as a result of. And the government are giving themselves the power now to insulate themselves against any kind of public discontent or civil, civil disturbance related to that. Coming up, would new police powers deter campaigners like Miranda? Hey, I'm Shantae Joseph. I'm a writer and broadcaster and I spend way too much time online. But now those years of scrolling are finally paying off because I'm hosting The Guardian's new pop culture podcast. In each episode, I'm going to get under the skin of the week's biggest stories. If you love pop culture and want to get into how it's shaping and impacting our lives, then you should join me every Thursday, launching on the 3rd of November. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Bye! Damien, where do you expect Just Stop Oil to go from this point onwards? I don't think that any of this new legislation is going to... Um perturb groups like Just Stop Oil or the radical climate activists that are involved. I think that they are so committed that yeah, the new powers for the police, they'll just be like, bring it on. You know, I spoke to one protester involved with Just Stop Oil, a spokesman for the group, and he said that until the government brings in the death penalty for their disruptive protests, they'll keep going out and they'll keep on doing what they do. You have to remember that the the strategy of these groups is not just to cause disruption. Their strategy is to be arrested and it is to go to prison and to continue their civil resistance in the courts and in the prisons as well. So for them, in a way, bringing in more draconian legislation that will cause them to be jailed more quickly is kind of playing into their hands. Miranda, if the public order bill is brought into law, it's going through the House of Lords at the moment, how will it make you reconsider the activism that you do? For me, I personally just think it's not going to stop anything. You know, you can try and criminalise us more, but it doesn't stop what's happening. It doesn't stop the fact it was 40 degrees or that the ice caps are almost gone or that 
sub-Saharan Africa is turning into an unlivable desert. It doesn't stop those things. And so therefore, like no one is going to stop. People are just going to keep going and we're just going to have to face harsher sentences for it. But what do you literally do when your planet is on the brink of collapse? Are you scared of getting a criminal record? Are you scared of maybe having to go to jail? Yeah, I am scared. Like I have court next week. And I am scared about that, but mostly because I want to do what I really would love to do with my life is migrant support work, as in working with asylum seekers and refugees. And that requires, you know, not to have a criminal record, which is fair enough. You're working with potentially vulnerable people. So in that way, I am worried because that would maybe stop me doing what I would love to do. But also... Also, like it, you know, to stand up and to be able to do this stuff is a, is a serious privilege. And like, I just think we need to do it if we can and push for the action that's necessary at this time. And if that does mean criminal records and whatever comes after, I do think that that's a step that is needed to be taken. Miranda, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks to Miranda Wheelahan and Damien Gale. Check out his reporting at theguardian.com. And tomorrow, The Guardian's launching a brand new pop culture podcast. I'm so excited about this. Each week, Shante Joseph is going to be giving you her own take on what's hot on the internet, what everyone's talking about in terms of pop culture. So if you're a bit of a celebrity spotter like me, you'll definitely want to give it a listen. Just search for Pop Culture with Shante Joseph wherever you found this podcast. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo and the executive producer was Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs>